folks, welcome back to another episode of Coffee, Tea, and Crime. Today we're going to look at gunshots in Newington. March 6, 1998. At that time, Connecticut lottery offices were located in Newington, Connecticut. Now that's just a rock's throw south of Hartford. Now there's about 110 employees working there. That office, 1998. Now, they were sharing that space with a paint company. paint company had the back part of that building, the warehouses there. Now, as you might guess, with that many employees, you're going to have some issues. Now, the suspect who worked there in the lottery office, he'd been working for the state of Connecticut for eight years. He ends up getting into it with the his supervisors when his job title has changed, his position has changed. Now he's moved from being a number cruncher to a computer software guy. One of his main concerns was he should have been getting paid more money to do the computer job than the accounting job. Now this went on for a couple years. Now during this two years, he takes off four months, takes some medical leave, stress-related. Now, he's got a grievance file, so he's following the proper procedures. And this grievance is saying that he basically got demoted when he went from accountant to data processing. Now, according to the resource material, it sounds like he was, to very least, going to get back pay for the job switch. Because generally now, when you switch jobs with the government, you usually keep your pay scale, unless you're the one volunteering to do it. Now, he'd went to the media. He had said that the Connecticut Lottery Corporation was exaggerating potential winnings, and that they were doing that to spur ticket sale. And he also claimed that store clerks were taking scratch tickets and going through them and finding winning tickets and cashing them. Now, I can't believe that didn't get him fired, but it didn't. But in any event, he's going to get to come back to work after his four months off. Now, later, when the media would talk to friends and co-workers and former classmates, he was, they described him as quiet and hard-working, Mr. Clean-Cut, all-American guy. Now, the problem the suspect had was 
wasn't the fact that he had some semi-automatic rifles and some pistols at his house. His problem was is that he was mentally unbalanced. Now, he'd been suffering from depression. And as we're going to see, that depression transformed itself into something much worse. Now, he'd moved back in with his parents after a few suicide attempts, according to his dad. Now, the day that the suspect's going to go back to work, his dad said that the suspect got up and seemed to be in a good mood. His son fed the cat and had his breakfast, walked out the door and said, well, I'm off. His father said he looked perfectly normal. He says, I know what he looks like when he's depressed, and he wasn't depressed today. Well, it sounds like his son had made a decision about what he was going to do to fix this problem. Maybe that's why he was happy. Now, he gets to work. He's got a Glock semi-automatic pistol. He's got a butcher's knife. And allegedly, he's got three magazines for his pistol. Now, according to the resource material, those are high-capacity magazines, which means they would carry at least 15 rounds apiece. So now he goes goes into the building and he sits down in his cubicle and he's still wearing his jacket. Some of his co-workers notice that. He's interacting, so not thinking anything about it. Miss Mycheck comes in. She's the CFO. That's one of the bosses in the chain of command. She allegedly walks by his cubicle and suggests that the suspect take his jacket off. Suspect just looks at her and says no. Well, a few minutes later, employees would notice that the suspect had taken his jacket off. Now, this was a Friday, so it's casual day. And the sweatshirt that the suspect is wearing, it covers his waist. Pretty sure that he had the butcher's knife and the pistol in his waistband underneath that thick shirt. So now he's been there about 30 minutes or so. He gets up and he walks back to the office of the information services manager, which is Michael Logan. When the grievance process had started, Mr. Logan had been the one that had initially denied the grievance. So obviously the suspects got it in for Mr. Logan. Now, the resource material varies on what the suspect did to Mr. Logan. Some of it states he stabbed the victim multiple times with the butcher's knife. Other material says that he stabbed him and shot him. Now, just from what I've read of the other witness reports to the media and whatnot, he probably didn't shoot him because that would have started a, that would have started the panic a little early for him. And obviously he had a plan. In any event, he leaves Mr. Logan's office and Mr. Logan is dead. Now he heads to the administrative suites and the CFO, she's in there with five other employees, including what would be the suspect's current supervisor. Now his current supervisor had not been a part of what had transpired over the last two years. So evidently he was not mad at her. And the reason we can make that statement is because the suspect walks in there 
waves at the CFO, tells her bye-bye, and then shoots her three times. Now, when he shoots her, all the other employees dive under the table. Suspect turns around and walks out of the room. So it's obvious from the, the suspect's actions, he's got his list of people that he's holding accountable for his problem. Thank goodness, because it could have been a lot worse if he decided just to kill everybody. In fact, one of the witnesses said he could have gotten us all. That witness would also add that it was obvious he knew who he wanted to get. Said the suspect just lowered the gun and walked out. Now, one person runs and gets the door closed. Another one calls 911. And they can hear the gunfire throughout the office building. People running in the screen. Now, just a minute or so after the suspect is left, Mr. Rubelman, who's the vice president of operations, he comes into the office and asks the employees, are they okay? Is everyone okay? And, of course, they tell him no, that Miss Linda's been shot. And they said he just stepped back out and closed the door. Now, Mr. Rubelman had been part of that process involving the suspect, so he was on that list. Now, at some point somewhere in that office, Mr. Rubelman runs into the suspect. Now, at the time Mr. Rubelman is shot and killed, he is allegedly assisting in trying to get employees out of the building. Now, the lottery president, Mr. Brown, he's in another part of the building with the security guard yelling at people to get out, to just start running. And at some point, Mr. Brown takes off running with the employees because here comes the suspect. Now, the employees, they head into the woods behind the building and on the sides of the building. And Mr. Brown, he goes across the gravel parking lot. Some of the employees said Mr. Brown probably did that intentionally because he knew who the suspect was after. Well, Mr. Brown stumbles and he falls in the parking lot and he's on his back and he's got his hands up and he's begging the suspect to, to not kill him. And the witnesses said they heard the suspect tell him to shut up and then he shot him twice. And then he circled around Mr. Brown and then he shot him a third time. Now about this time, the first police car shows up, two investigators in an unmarked car. And they get out and they're drawing their guns. Suspect takes his pistol, puts it up to his temple, and he shoots himself. Now later, they would, the media would interview the father of the suspect, and he would talk about the, his son's bouts of depression and the, the several attempts the son had made to kill himself. He said the most recent one had been the year before. He said he'd found him, his son in a near comatose state from an overdose of medication. And he lamented to the press, he said he wondered if that might have been a mistake, saving his son. If he hadn't saved his son's life by getting him to the hospital, then all these people would be alive. Now that's a horrible thing for a father to have to contemplate of his child. A very sad story. We sure need to figure out a way to get guns out of the hands of people who are mentally unstable. Now, there's ways to do it. Connecticut did pass a law, and what I read of the law, it's basics. It actually sounds like a pretty good law to 
We just need people to stop screaming at each other and start sitting down, getting some solutions, because that's a loophole we need to close in our gun laws. We've got to stop letting people who are unbalanced or who are criminals, we need to figure out ways to keep them from getting guns. And banning guns is not a solution. That's just a pipe dream. Sad story. Even sadder if we continue to let it fester and not solve it.